Father, we thank you and praise you for this morning. And as we open up your word, we know apart from the Holy Spirit moving and taking your word and just putting it into the ears, uh, ears of the of those this morning and a softened heart uh, that's been prepared. Uh, apart from apart from you, we can do nothing. So we open ourselves up to your word to be spoken to us individually, but corporately as a whole as as well, Lord, as a body of believers here that's gathered here in your name because we're two or more gathered you're right here in our presence and so i know there's no question in my mind uh, lord that you're going to just speak to our hearts in jesus name amen amen first john chapter five we're going to be picking back up where we left off last week here in verse 14 we're going to finish the chapter here of uh, the book of first john and of course, for those who have first time here, like, what are you going to teach after that? We go right on to 2 John. It's pretty straightforward, so if it's the first time here. So you can certainly, Lord willing, next week you can read ahead and know exactly. But that's a small little letter, so we're not sure if it's going to be a one-time teaching. or So don't miss it, because it might be just one-time teaching. We'll see. 1 John chapter 5. Let's read together here. Uh, follow along with me as I read verses 14 through 21. Now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother sinning, a sin which does not lead to death, we will ask. And he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is sin not leading to death. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Amen be it, so be it. Everything he's written in this letter, we refer to as an epistle. We refer to it as the book of 1 John. He says at the very end, so be it. What I've told you is true and everything is good and right in this letter. Make sure you understand, understand it and do you receive it? And so we take a look at this. The first question I'm going to ask you today is, does the Heavenly Father respond when his children, you and I, call on him? Have you settled that in your mind? And hopefully today after the teaching, you will have that settled in your mind that you as a child of God can boldly come to the Heavenly Father and ask. Ask what? <laughs> We're going to find that out today. When? We'll find that out today. What's the catches? We'll find out that today. But do you believe that you can come to your Heavenly Father and your Heavenly Father will respond to you as a child of God? Yes. We see here he starts off John writing here and he emphasizes the confidence that we can have in prayer. Prayer is you talking to God. God actually talking to you. 
through and by his word. He sits there and we can have a conversations with our God who has created you, who also has given you eternal life as a child of God. And because of that, we have this great confidence in prayer that God answers prayer when we come to him. And John wanted to emphasize this at the very end of his letter, how fitting it is so that, his, that he comes across like a father to his, his kids, like at the very end, little children. He was like an older dad looking down to, the, down to his, his kids, little kids, and saying, little kids, I hope you're hearing me. It's like a father talking to his kids. Son, daughter, I hope you're hearing dad what he's telling you. Listen to me. I love you. I'm telling you, this is true. This is good. This is right. I need you to learn this. I need you to understand this. The compassion and the love a father has for his children. So he starts off in verse 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in him. That we ask anything according to his will he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, if we know that, if you're not, if you are no shadow of a doubt that he hears you, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. John has developed the idea as we see in verse 14, now this. Now this from what? Verse 13, we read last week. Look at verse 13. John developed the idea based on this confidence in him from the previous verse. It says, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. So he's speaking to people who are believers. This confidence in prayer, the confidence that we have that God hears you when you ask him, is based upon a relationship and a position you hold as a child of God in the family of God. But if you haven't really given, you truly haven't given your life to Jesus, you're not saved, you haven't been regenerated by the Spirit of God, you don't have that confidence. The only confidence you have is in one prayer, one prayer only, and that is to cry out to say, God, save me. That's the only one he's going to hear from you. Let me, let me emphasize that again. The only thing that God wants to hear from someone who is a non-believer is the cry of God, please save me, and I accept and believe in who you are. I, right here, in verse 13, that I believe in the name of the Son of God, that is Jesus Christ, who's given me eternal life. That's, that's the only thing he wants to hear from you, from you. Only by his grace and mercy does he keep you alive so that at some point he knows if you are going to give your life to him or not. So he's, but John's writing to you and I who have that, who are, that's settled. We're saved. We're believers. We, we believe in the Son of God. We know we have eternal life. That's settled in our, in our lives. We know this. For you and I. He says, now for those who know that they have eternal life, God now, John, I should say, relates the idea of this confidence in him to prayer. We can come to the Father freely. We can tell him our needs. We can tell him about everything in our lives. If we ask anything according to his will, John says, he hears us. So we see very clearly what is it, how, why, why prayer is important. The purpose of prayer for us to be able to come to God of the creation. The one who created you. The one who has saved you and given you eternal life. You can freely come and ask him all your needs. About everything. Even those little secrets in your mind that only you only know. God knows. He knows everything. 
He hears everything. He sees everything. He's all present. He knows every thought before you even think it. That's how well he knows you. But he still wants you to what? Come to him. It's like a child. If you're a parent, you understand this. A child thinks he's getting away with something. Or a child thinks he has needs and you don't know. Dad, 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 you really need to... Mom, mom, you really... As a parent, you already know these things. <laughs> you know your children. You know what they're doing. You're just waiting for them to see if they're going to ask. So we see the purpose of prayer. We see the secret power in prayer. It is to ask and to ask anything according to his will, John says. Once having asked to have that assurance, once you've asked God, you can have that assurance, that confidence that he hears your prayer. First, God would have us ask in prayer. Many people just don't even talk to God or even ask Him. You must ask. You must come to Him. You must talk to Him. If you don't, you wonder why your prayers are not being answered because you haven't talked to Him. You haven't communicated with Him. Well, God knows everything. Yes, He does, but He still is looking for you to still Ask. It's because it's your development. It's for you to build that confidence and the assurance in your relationship with Him. So much prayer fails because it never was asked of God. To a loving God, a generous giver, a God who we can freely ask of Him. So that's the first thing you must and I must remember. To have that confidence in prayer, we must have that confidence of who God is. He's the Savior of the world. We must boldly be able to come to Him and ask. The second thing is God would have us ask anything according to His will He hears in prayer. It's not implying that anything we ask, anything we ask for will be granted. But anything in the sense that we can and should pray about everything. That's the whole emphasis. We should be asking and praying about everything. But the question is, what happens if it's not his will that we're asking for? Here's a, here's a boy named Tom. I got a Tom story for you. Tom goes to his father and he asks, Father, can I drive your car? And the father pauses in silence, looking at him like he did not hear his son just ask that question about driving his car. Just gives it kind of a look. So what does Tom do? Tom asks again, Father, can I drive your car? I, I know I will drive it safe. Father says to his son, I, I, I just don't think I heard you correctly. I don't think I heard you right. I, I'm not sure you, I heard what you just said. So Tom, of course, asks again. Father, really, really hear me. Hear me what I'm asking here. I want to drive your car. And the father finally responds, Tommy, I know you want to and think you can drive a car at nine years of old. But how about we talk about this later? How about not now, not yet? First, do what I've already provided for you richly and have given to you. Why don't you go outside and ride your bike? Let's start here. That happens to us. Sometimes we will ask things to God that God is like, are you sure I heard what you just asked me? You don't want me to answer that prayer. You really don't want me to respond to that. You, you, that is not anywhere remotely within my will. So he, he stays silent. Dad just stays silent. Abba stays silent. So that the son 
for the daughter will ask again and ask again and ask again. And it's amazing over time when you still do not hear your father responding, you start modifying what you're asking for. Eventually, God is teaching us to change what we're asking for and start really pondering on how foolish the first request was and finally get us to a point in saying, Dad, did I tell you how much I'm so thankful and grateful for the bike you gave me? Do you see what I'm saying, my brothers and sisters? John is saying here, if you ask according to his will, he hears you. God cares about your whole life. Nothing is too small, nothing is too big to pray about. As Paul wrote in the Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Let your requests, let your petitions, you know God, you've laid it out in front of him. You've laid it out. You did your part, you're coming to him, you're asking him. Don't be anxious about it. You can come because you're a child of the heavenly God. You can boldly walk in to the throne of God in prayer. That's how we get able to communicate and ask him of all of our needs, not our greeds. All of our needs. Not all of our greeds. But God wants us to see and discern his will through his word to pray his will. So how do you want to be when you come to him boldly and you wanted to ask him something? Make sure you're in his word and keep pondering on his word because the word will guide you to ask whatever you're going to ask. Be in line with his will. See, many people talk to God all day, maybe. But it's not in line with the Word because they're never in the Word to know what God's will is. God speaks to us by His Word. So as He comes, we want to make sure that we understand and discern His will through as we read the Word of God. He will realign our asking to be in line with His will. Of course, there are conditions that we see in the scripture that we must meet or he will not hear our prayers. What are some of those? First, we must have a heart that does not condemn us. We saw that in 1 John chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. If we have a, our hearts not right, he's not going to hear your prayers until you finally repent and ch change your perspective about things. So if your heart condemns you, seek my heart, Lord. If you find any wicked way in it, please reveal it to me because I want to confess it. I want to repent of it. I want to change of it because I do not want to have my prayers hindered. And what I need, I ask for my needs for you, from you. Unconfessed sin is a very serious obstacle to answer prayer. God's not going to answer your prayer. You don't have that confidence when you're living in sin. Contrary to the will of God, don't have the confidence your prayers are being heard. And the fact that he's going to respond to him, he hears everything, but not in response to you. Go back and read Psalm 66, 18 for that one. Understand also, when you're in a disagreement or have intense discussions of differences between husband and wife, between a Christian husband and wife, can hinder your prayers. We see that in 1 Peter 3, 7. So if you don't want your prayers hindered, gentlemen, make sure you have things settled with your wife. Wives, if you want your prayers answered, make sure you're settled with your husband. Make sure you work those things out and both be seeking the will of God in regards to the challenges or friction that you might be having. Make sure you're both are seeking the Lord to solve that because it will hinder your prayers. If there's anything between you, us, and any other Christian, we must have that settled and settled quickly. We see that in Matthew 5, 23 and 20 through 25. He's saying, if you've got a challenge with a brother, you have a challenge with one of your sisters, 
You better not be starting sitting here and starting to start praying and asking for your needs. You better go, first go and settle that. Because your prayers are going to be hindered. You're not going to have clarity. He seems to be distant. He seems to not be talking to you. You don't seem to him to enter to. He's just, every time I'm reading a word, it doesn't seem like it's, I'm, I'm hearing from him. Seek your heart. There's something not right with someone. You better go get it settled very quickly. And unless a believer is abiding in Christ, abiding in his love and, in, and being obedient to his word, your prayers and my prayers will not be answered. We see that very clearly. It, John writes to it in John chapter 15, verse 7. Jesus' own words must have been what... What John was thinking about as he wrote this of uh, this letter of First John, and he, Jesus says, "If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you." But if you're not abiding in Him, you're not abiding in love for, with Him. You're not you're being obedient to the Word of God. Your prayers are going to be hindered because you're not abiding. When we abide in Jesus, when we're living for him day by day, a daily walk, then our will becomes more and more aligned with his will, his desires, in line with what the scripture says. And we can ask what you desire because your desires of the heart is what he puts, puts into your heart, right? He gives you the desires of your heart. So when you ask, it's in line with his will. It's amazing. And the more and more you ask according to his will, then we will see more answered prayers from God. But if something is God's will, the question always people ask is, why doesn't he just do it? Why didn't he just give us what he knows he wants to give us? Why do we have to pray for to see the answered prayers, to, to get our needs? Why would he wait to accomplish his will until we pray? Well, let me tell you. Because prayer is the way God wants his children, you and I, to get what we need. God not only ordains the end, but he also ordains the means to the end. Ask in prayer. How do you develop your children as a parent? You teach them how to properly ask. To ask. You don't sit there and raise children up for them to just, you just give them everything they want. And then you, as a parent, you, when they ask you one of those foolish questions that are outside the will of God, outside the will of a parent, you look at your child and go, you didn't, I can't believe you just asked me that. And you ask the nice question, would you like to re rephrase that? Or when you hear them talking to your wife in an inappropriate way, dad, you step in and say, wait, 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 wait. Hello, who are you to talk to my wife like that? Can you want to rephrase that when you talk to your mother? Because if you think you're going to get anything after talking like that, you, you, son, you and I are going to talk. There's consequences to your actions. See, you've got to teach your children how to ask so that you will then, they will learn to grow up and start asking their Heavenly Father for their basic of needs when they're on their own. Just don't give them everything they want, even though you know everything they need. Matter of fact, you need it more than them, and you're just inkling want to give it to them. But no, don't give it to them. Let them work it through and teach them how to seek the Lord and, and seek in prayer and ask and, and develop that ability. But when you do ask, John says we know that we have 
we have that those requests, those petitions that we have asked of him. We know confidently he hears us. We know it's in the will. We can ask according to his will. And when we pray the promises of God, we read the promise of God in the word, and we're talking and asking, again for, God, I see your promise in the word. You're going to provide for me. I don't know how we're going to get food on the table this, this month or how we're going to have enough money for gas money and all these. But, Lord, I just know you're going to provide because I see that promise in, the, in your word. You have confidence in that. We have this confidence, and so we pray with real and definitive faith. Even if we don't see it, we still have that confidence, the faith that God is going to provide because he's a good, good father. Did we not just worship that in song? Did we not just worship about abiding in Christ in song? Did we not just, did that really come out of your mouth and just song? Or did you really believe that in your heart and in your mind? Because it's truth. It's from the word of God. Prayer should be so much more than just casting wishes up. Let me just throw that up and see if he's going to give me this one. No, it's not casting up wishes to heaven. It is rooted in the understanding of God's will based on the promises according to his word and praying those promises in action in prayer. Believing what the word of God says and actually saying it as you believe it. We may not see the answer to prayer immediately, but we have the inner confidence, John says here. The inner confidence that God has answered this confidence or our faith, the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews 11.1. 1. It is God's witnessing to us that he has heard and answered us. We know by faith he hears us. Now we just be patient and wait for dad to respond. We must develop that in our children, my brothers. In your home, when your children ask, don't immediately give it. Say, let me pray about that first. Let me, let me ponder on that. Why don't you be praying about it, asking God and seek the word on it? And we'll come back together and we'll talk about that. We want our kids to develop an understanding that when they ask of God, they need to be patient with God. This is not a microwave relationship. This is not take it or give it. People treat God like they treat a microwave. Give me 30 seconds. I, want it. I need a nap. Remember, God doesn't deal with time. He has, he has eternity. Get ready. I know it feels like eternity sometimes before God gives us an answer. But God has reasons why he holds and, and ponders on that for us. To ponder, I should say. See, the question, here's the second question. How important is breathing to a physical man or a woman? How important is it for you to breathe? That would be a very important, life-changing event, right? Did you know that prayer is just as important to the spiritual person as breathing is to the physical? It is life-changing. How's your prayer life these days? True, earnest prayer that you're seeking God's will for your life. How much time do you... The Bible says we should be praying without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians. Go back to 517 and 1 Thessalonians. It does not mean that a Christian is always saying audible prayer. We are not heard for our much speaking, and that is a warning in Matthew 6, 7. But as a Christian, you and I, who has his heart fixed on Christ and the desire to always be in his will and to be about his purpose and to be 
pleasing to God at all times of our lives. Our desire is to glorify Him in prayer constantly. It's like breathing. Once you learn and you mature as a Christian, you will un- you understand what I'm talking about. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, that means your maturity is still young and we need to mature you. That's why men show up at uh, on Thursday nights. Ladies, Show up on Tuesday nights. Show up on Sundays. Because you need to grow so you understand what I'm talking about, where it's almost like breathing. And you're always constantly talking about God about all things. Even though it's not audible, you're constantly, conscious and subconsciously, you're constantly pondering on pleasing and glorifying God with your life. And allowing Him to speak into your life about the desires that He has for you and directing your paths. That's why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is so important. Seek first the kingdom of... I'm sorry. Um, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Yes, Matthew six thirty three. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. It's all about asking, about seeking. Seeking and asking God. It's, it's, it's a relationship, remember. It's not a vending machine. God is not a bellhop where you ring your bell when you're in trouble or where you, you need want something. God wants a relationship and he's with you in the best of times and the most worst of your times. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Prayer is not a spiritual self-hypnosis either. What does prayer mean all day? Am I just kind of into the into it and and all kinds of you know all kinds? Of, no, it's not self-hypnosis. No, no, no. Nor do we pray because it makes us feel better. Oh, I need to pray because I need to feel better. It's really kind of rainy and gloomy. I'm going to pray because I need to feel better. Not about a feeling. We pray because God commanded you and I as a child of God to communicate with them. Hello? In a family, family, there is an absolute expectation as a father and mother that your kids communicate with you. They don't have an option. It's a commandment that they communicate with you. It's within the family. And to communicate properly and effectively. God's command to you and I is to pray, and the prayer is God-appointed means for you and I, for as believers, to receive what God wants to give them. So if God says, you, want, you need something, you need to communicate, and you need to ask, and you need to, we have to have dialogue for this to happen, why wouldn't that not be true in your own family? Why would you start keep giving to your kids when they're not asking and communicating with you? They're ignoring you and they're just passively and deflecting and have attitude. I am told by God to provide a roof over your head and food on the table and clothes on your back. Everything else called the cell phone and internet and anything else, I don't have to provide for you. I don't need to take you to your friends. I don't... Go down the list. This is... Mom and dad, that's our stuff. We, we share with you as children. See, we have to learn what the scripture says, and you must understand these principles are so true also within the family. Prayer keeps you and I in the will of God. Yes, what that means is if you don't have a prayer life, you're more likely not in the will of God. Don't fool yourself. The living in the will of God keeps you and I in the place of blessing and service. I don't feel blessed. Well, be in the will of God. Because when you're in the will of God, you're under the spigot of blessings and service just pours out on you. And you're like, everyone's looking at your life like, wow, you're just a blessed person. Wow, look what God's doing in and through your life. Why do we, how do you get that? <laughs> it's very simple. Stay close to God. Abide in Him. Be in His will. Talk to Him nonstop about everything. And watch the blessing and the service come upon you. It's not complicated. Not always easy. But not complicated. 
But you must do. It's an action that you have responsible. Sometimes I'm amazed that God blesses me and blesses others when they haven't really done anything. They haven't prayed. They haven't even seeked him, even asked. And God seems to still pour out his blessings at times. That's because of his grace and mercy upon you. Though Jesus was God in the flesh, what was one of the most important things that he did while he was on this earth? He prayed to his heavenly father. Night and day, different times, all night sometimes, seeking the will of his father, empowered by the spirit to do the work that God had called him to do here. That is the same for us. The most important thing about prayer is the will of God. Once we know the will of God by his word, we can pray with confidence, with assurance. Then all we have to do is wait for him to reveal the answer. And just be patient. It will come. No question about it. Now, in verses 16 and 17, we see when it comes to the confidence in prayer when you're dealing with other people. With a brother in particular, as John writes here. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin, which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. Ooh, I know this is, can challenge some people here. But notice here, John says in verse 17, all unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. So, John says, when we see a brother or a sister in sin. We can, we can observe people's lives and we go, ooh, that's, that doesn't line up with the word of God. No, 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 he, he's in sin. What do you do? As a brother to a brother, how, what do you do? Do you go up there, do you, do you ignore it? And say, I, I didn't see that. I didn't hear that. I, I'm just going to ignore it. That's your life. I, that's between you and God. That's what most people do. Then you got the other side of the pendulum and you're in everyone's business. You have this critical spirit and you're seeking out every ounce of possible sin, any little fleck of sin and they're looking for it in your life. Be careful, parents. What he's saying here is a brother, if you see someone who's sinned, he says right here, immediately you are to what? Start praying for that brother. That's all he's asking you to do. Start praying and continue to pray and pray. It's called interceding for your brother or your sister. Now the problem, the challenge. Yes, I see what you're saying here, Pastor. The first thing to do is to pray for that person. I got it. But the problem is, is this. You know it. But it's the last thing you do for that person or the least thing that you do in regards to, for the, to help that brother in a difficult time in his life. You don't be the first thing. You go, I, don't, I saw that. Maybe I should just take him out for a burger. Maybe we'll just have a burger and we'll have... We'll talk about sports. Maybe we'll get his mind off of it. You do all kinds of things to try to maybe thought in a nice, I'm sure it's a right heart. Take him out for burr. Maybe he'll open up and actually communicate with you so that you can then use the word of God to encourage your brother to come back to God and not live a cardinal life, a fleshly life, a worldly life. But the challenge is that sometimes that's the last thing you may even think about regards to your brother who sins is actually taking the time 
to literally talk to God about him and intercede what you just acknowledged or saw the sin coming from his life. Or it's like, God, you know Bob. Well, Tom, you know Tom. He needs, your, he needs you, Lord. You know he needs you. And that's the least you did. That's all you did at one time. Whoop, you didn't pray continuously until all of a sudden you started seeing a change in Tom. That is what he's asking us to do because he's revealed it to you. Now he's asking you to now intercede. Why do we do that? Because as we learned early in the letter, we are to love God and what? Love our brothers and sisters. Prayer is a form of love. If you really love your brothers and sisters, you will earnestly pray for them as God is going to use you. He revealed it to your life. In his, he revealed it to you. So if he revealed it to you, he's out asking you to love your brother by praying and interceding because there's power behind that interceding prayer. Do you fully understand? Do I fully understand? I just know what the word of God says and I believe it. How he takes my words and my thoughts and my desires for the love for my brother and say, God, have a way. Please, Lord, change, change him. Bring something. What do you want me to do? How can I do it? Is there something I can say? What words from the scripture can I share with him? Do you seek God and ask how you can be fully involved in helping your brother? That's what he's asking us to do. Because he says right here, God will give him life. Woo! Hello? If he gives him life, there's also the opposite of what? Take that life. And he says it here. But God promised to bless the prayer, your prayer, made on the behalf of a brother in sin by interceding and the special power before God brings their prayers according to his will and the fulfillment of the command to love the brother. In response, that brother lives. Can change. But there is sin leading to death, John says. And because John wrote in context of a brother, it is wrong to see him meaning a sin leading to spiritual death. He's not talking about spiritual death there. Once you're saved, you're saved. He's referring to the physical death. How do I know that? Because I see scripture. The first one is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27 through 32. Where Paul says among the Christians in Corinth, because of their disgraceful conduct at the Lord's Supper, some had died, referring to the many are weak and sick among you and may sleep. Sleep meaning death. They died. This death came not as a condemning judgment upon the brother or sister, but on a corrective judgment upon that person. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. 1 Corinthians, further down in chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 32. Because of their taking communion in an unworthy manner, it would bring such disgrace and such a negative upon God, it was better for that, whoever those people were for God to take their life and take them home than to continue to live some life that is so contrary, even though they call themselves a Christian, they continue to live something contrary to God. God says, it's better for me to take you out of there than to you, to the, the world. I mean, just you, you're just having a, you blew your witness. You're, you're just really messing people from coming to God. Another example, Acts Chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Ananias and Sapphira lied to God about their offering and they both died. God knew you, you, your, your heart's not right as a child of mine. 
that is going to have tremendous impact of this lying about what you say you're giving and you're not giving. I, I'm going to take you out of here. It's better for you to be home with me and then to have a negative influence on the rest of the church and, uh, and to uh, non-believers. Now, when I read that as a new believer, I'm like, whoa. Whoa. Very sobering. Very sobering. But let me apparently see, to, a believer can sin to, the, uh, to a point where God believes it is just best to bring them home. Probably because they are going to be in a way where they could be on a slippery slope where they're going to be compromising and in their testimony and they could really mess their lives up by slipping back into like a dog back to its vomit. And because of God's love, he says, I, I, I see what's going to happen. Let me get you out of here. However, do not think about every case of an untimely death that you hear about of a brother and sister, of a believer. Or to use it as an enticement to commit suicide for the guilt-ridden Christian. Neither one of those are acceptable. Don't be going, ooh, 20-year-old believer? Did you hear just—he died. Like this really weird thing. He just died. He shouldn't have died. He's really healthy. I must have something been in his life, and God took him home early. Don't go down that path. You don't know, and I don't know. All you know is God gives life, and He decides when what to take you out of here for this life. So you don't go down that path. Don't let the enemy go into your head doing that path. And do not sit there and say, I'm really guilt-ridden. I can't shake it. And it's probably best that I just commit suicide and go home early. Don't go down that path. That's what the enemy will try to do to you. I'm telling you and warning you now if it ever happens to you. And if it has happened to you, please, please take a step of faith and come talk to me. I want to help you. Because I don't want the enemy messing with you like that. I don't. But the enemy would love to take you out early. Especially if God is using you in a tremendous way in the body of Christ. The enemy will come after you to try to take you out. So apparently when a Christian is being corrected, Paul, John says, I did not say that we should pray about that. He says, if you find a brother who sinned, you need to start praying for him. Pray for him, pray for him, pray for him, pray for him. But if you see someone who's doing stuff that is in sin, that is going to lead to death because it is that bad, there is sin leading to death. But I, when every time I read that, I always ask the next question, what sin is that? Isn't that the natural flow? What sin is that? What kind of sin? Wait a minute. I need to know because I need to see what if it's on my part of my life that's usually what the that's why you're really asking john says you don't pray for that so you sit there and go when do i pray and when i don't pray what what sin is is what you pray for what kind of sin when you see someone's in someone's life and when you see it in someone some other kind of sin in their life i'm not supposed to pray for that because that leads to death which one is it we don't know. That's why we just keep praying. I, I, I settled that long ago. You just keep praying for everybody, even if you see and you see, ooh, that's a real. He just lied. I know you. I'm going to pray for him. They're so, it, it looks like they're already turned over to the debased minds. They're off the wall and everything, everything in contrary to the word of God. First of all, you should be asking, are they really truly a Christian? And first of all, If they're living habitual, as we will see, habitual sin, you're not talking about a Christian. I'm talking about sins that lead to death. I don't know what those are. That's why I just keep praying. I leave it up to the grace of God of what he decides to do. It frees me. It can free you too. Just keep praying. If you know something in someone's life, it's not right, it doesn't align with the word of God, just keep interceding and praying. Why? Because God says he will continue to give them life. But there is sin, not leading to, to death. But he does summarize in verse 17, all unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. 
Verse 18 and 19. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. No, no, it doesn't say you're perfect. That you can be perfect and sinless. No, no, it doesn't say that. In the original language here, it speaks of one that is not in habitual sin. They're not practicing sin. They may fall to sin. They must be struggling with sin, but not willingly and lovingly accepting all this. They love the sin. They've always been like that and never going to change. This is what I do. It's part of me. That kind of habitual sin. But he says, whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps himself. We'll talk about that. And the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. There's a lot right here in these two verses. In verse 18, where the word there says himself, it actually in the original language should say him. So take your little pencil and cross out self. It should say God keeps him, keeps her, keeps him. Him is a, is a word there in the original language that talks about he who has been born of God, that is Jesus Christ, keeps him, that is you and I as a believer. John is saying here that we are kept by Jesus and protected from whom? From Satan. Jesus protects us from Satan. He protects us from the evil one. The evil one, the wicked one, does not touch you in my life. It has no power to touch your life. As a believer, he cannot touch your life. God is in complete, full control. That's why we have the, the assurance that you cannot be possessed by a demonic force, a demon or Satan himself. Most likely a demon. You cannot, You may have prior to being saved, and when God came in, he kicked those residents out. Ask Mary Magdalene. She had seven, many, others, many. Whoever is born of God, whoever is born again, does not sin. It's that battle against sin. It's essential. There will always be a spiritual battles, and it'll be a battles to keep our minds set on who, who is in our, in our life, who is Jesus Christ. It's a constant battle to put him always number one in your life. If we are born of him, we then have the resources that God has given you, the, the helper, the Holy Spirit, to dwell freely within you, and so you no longer habitual sin. No longer practicing sin. You no longer enjoy. You don't want anything to do with your previous sin. That's why, that's when you know you've changed. You, you know there's a new person in you. Because before you had no problem doing it. You looked forward to it. You planned your whole week for the weekend for it. Every day for it. And now you're changing. You're like, no, no. Get away. No. Temptations everywhere. No. Don't want that. No. 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 Get up. Let me run. You don't get up and say, I'm going to go out and work out and practice it. Every day I look, look forward to practicing it. That's called habitual sin. In a child of God, you cannot do that. It's not in you. You have a new nature. John is, repeats the same idea back in chapter 3, verse 6. Whoever abides in him does not sin. The grammar here is, in the original language, very clear, very plain. John is speaking, it means this is settled in your life. You're not, you're not practicing. It's not continuing a habitual lifestyle of sin. These things are not you. It's, but it does not speak to a sinless perfection. That's not what he's saying here. But know that Jesus, who has been born of God, keeps you and me from the wicked one. It says here, does not touch him. Does not touch you. Does not touch me. What does it mean? It means it's not just a touch. Because trust me, 
the, 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 the principalities and darkness of this world that fights against us is constantly seems to be touching and shoving you. What it, this word touch in the original language means to grab and be part of, to lie hold of, attached to you. That he can never do. Do you want that assurance? Be a, be a believer. You'll never have to worry about demonic forces attaching to you. The only other place that we see that exact word in the Greek for touch, guess where it is. John chapter 20, verse 7. Where Jesus says to Mary, to stop, stop clinging to me. Don't, 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 don't. I know you, you, you're, you're, you're excited to see me because I rose from the dead. And you can imagine the bear hug she must have grabbed a hold of him. I'm not letting you go again, Jesus. Same word. Because we are born of him, Satan cannot touch you or me. He can't cling to us. It's not part of our life. It's not who we are any longer. We have a changed life. And we're no longer, as he says here, we know that we are of God. We're no longer under the sway of the wicked one. The sway of what the world does to you and I. We're no longer swayed by the world, that the, Satan rules. We're no longer swayed by our, our, our flesh. We're no longer swayed by these things. We can grow and mature in Christ where we have self-control. We have stability and long-suffering and the, and the fruit of the Spirit comes in our lives so that we're not messed with to the degree that we used to be. And then finally here, verses 20 and 21, he ends his letter here about abiding in, in, in Jesus and avoiding idols. It's a warning. He ends it with a great warning. And like any dad telling his children before they walk out the, walk out the house, God sees all things, knows all things. He's everywhere. And he speaks to dads just, just so you know before you walk out the door. And he says it right here. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. He gives us understanding. That we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true and in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. Do you see that verse in verse 20? Do you realize you are in him and him and you? It's truth. It's good. It's no longer false. It's no longer a lie. You're not living a lie in your life any longer as a child of God. You're not living as some facade that you used to live as a non-believer. You're not trying to make up yourself something that the world looks like so you feel like you can be accepted. That is no longer, you don't have to live like that anymore. You don't have to live up to some unexpected, real unexpectations that you can never reach. That's just how the darkness brings you down. That's how the world does it. That's how the flesh does it. You don't have to do that. You're free from all of that. Because with all of that brings anxiety. And it's an oppression that brings into depression within you. If you really believe what this verse is saying here, you have the Son of God. You're a child of God and he gives you this understanding. How do you get this understanding? By reading and studying the word of God. And believing it. And applying it. Being obedient. And then you will know him because he's true. And what he wants to do in his life is true. And you can believe it with all your heart and mind, soul, and strength. See, this is the major theme that John had throughout his letter. That fellowship with Jesus Christ. It's about a fellowship. It's about a relationship. Not about some organization. Not some religious organization. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus. The fact that he loves you. And he wants that intimate relationship with you. 
We must know him, my brothers and sisters. The word John uses for the word know here is gnosko. It speaks of knowledge by experience, not just intellect. Many have an intellect of a knowing who Jesus is, but they don't have the personal experience and relationship with Jesus. That experience of relationship will change your life. The intellectual will not. This is how Jesus wants to know you. He has given us understanding. Because it's that abiding life of fellowship that John is referring to, even back in chapter 1, verse 3. It's this abiding and this consistent, consistent relationship, abiding and talking and seeking and asking. And it's this understanding must be given. We can't just get it. It must be given. We cannot attain it in any other way on our own. If God did not reveal himself to us, we would never be looking out for him. We know him and can know him because he has revealed himself consistently, constantly who he is to you ever since you were born. I believe within the womb, he reveals himself to you. More than any other way, God has revealed himself to us by him who is true and that is in his son, Jesus Christ. There is no other way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We sang it. Did those words resonate truth to you? Throughout this letter, my favorite, my favorite book you know, it saddens me to know that this is coming to an end today with my reading my favorite book. I hope it turned out to be your favorite book as well. Do you know the Christian life is a real life? Outsiders are looking going, what's this Christian life thing? What is it? Hokey pokey what? Turn yourself around? The Christian life is a real life. Do you have that eternal life that he speaks to that's real? If you don't, today you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. You need to give your life to Jesus Christ. I know the Spirit of God touched your heart if you're a non-believer. And he's saying, just invite me in. Believe that I am the Son of God. And I died for your sins so you could have eternal life. Believe me, trust me with all your heart and soul, mind. Follow me now. Jesus is saying, come, follow me. And he'll lead you right into eternity, amen? John ends, like every good dad does. He says, little children, it's, it's an endearment. It's not like a father, children, listen to me. He's saying, children, I love you. Little children, keep yourself from idols. What's the last word out of a dad's mouth to his children right here? So that you don't forget what was challenging them. Remember, the Gnostics did not believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God in the flesh. They believed he was some phantom, just some spirit, just an illusion of something. It wasn't really material. He wasn't really flesh and bone, blood, skin. It, 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 every, Satan will always try to, get, try to counterfeit and try to deflect you away from who Jesus Christ is. And at the very end, that's the most important thing. At the very end, he leads the, leaves the letter here to the, the enemy, to f the fellowship of God. The, what will hinder you from now on, little children? Let me tell you right now. that What will hinder you is that you will not follow Jesus. You will follow idolatry. You want to know what hinders your life as a Christian? You'll follow idolatry. That's what he's saying. Don't do it. 
Don't follow idolatry. Don't embrace false God, false ideas of what the true God is. Don't follow these, 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 these satanic, anti-Christ kinds of stuff. Just simply follow Christ in what the Bible says. And that's how he rightly closes his letter Having spent most of the time in the book warning against the dangers of false teachers, these Gnostic and Gnosticism and the teaching that he said, go back and read it. But we can only have a real relationship with God who is really there. And our God, Jesus, is risen. He's alive. And he loves you. And guess what? He also in heaven is interceding to his father for you. Think about that. He constantly has his eye on you because he loves you that much. No wonder John ends in such a fatherly way, keeping it simple. If you don't remember everything I've written, remember one thing, keep yourself away from idols. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, first of all, let us repent if there is any idols in our life. Us as an idol, our job as an idol, our titles of accomplishments intellectually, let those not be idols. Our physical strength not to be idols. Not those little rewards and patches. Let those not be idols. Our bank accounts to be idols. It can go on and on and so subtle. May we not be tricked. May we, you say you've given us understanding. Holy Spirit, have your way of just keeping us just in, in check with constantly not swaying away from the truth, but very laser focused upon who you are and what you've done for us and your love for us. And may our love grow deeper and deeper for you and for one another as our brothers and sisters, as you've commanded us to do. We thank you and we praise you. If there's anyone here today that wants to give their life to Jesus Christ who is not as the eyes are closed and heads are bowed just raise your hand I'm not going to call you out I just want to know who God is touching and working in the heart just make sure you put your hand high enough so I can see God touched your heart today just raise your hand don't fight it best as the Lord is touching you to respond and for those online I pray you will let us know if you God has touched your heart we want to pray for you and send something to you for you to grow in your new relationship with God is anyone here today we thank you Lord for what a beautiful day of allowing us your, 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 the body of Christ your children to come and gather here this morning to not only learn, but to be encouraged to walk. Continue to walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please.